keeping Trev on his toes with these different mics this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. That was amazing. Sometimes we've just got to take a bit of time to let him come and do what he wants to do, haven't we? And I certainly feel a lot better for just taking five minutes to rest in his love. I hope you do too. Um, going to be sharing with you this morning on the kingdom theme of joy and hope. And if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to get that out. Um, but first, just one or two very simple practical things to mention to you. Now that we're back in this room uh, every Sunday, we're faced again with some of the challenges of being a family of all different ages in a confined space. So sometimes there can be a few challenges to do with sound and noise and all the rest of it. I just want to ask you to bear with us on that and give you a few tips. So if you've got sensitive ears and you find it difficult when the children get their instruments out, we want the children to get their instruments out, don't we? <laughs> and to play and feel welcome and be happy. But if it's an issue for you, I suggest that you come early and you get some of these seats here, all right, in the central section and this section, because their instrument's always out on that side. And if you forget and you find yourself plonked over here and you think, oh, no, I can't hear myself think, well, just move. It's all right. You can change seats. You're free to do that, okay? Um, because... We really want them to feel at home and welcome and relaxed in that time. Um, a good place for sound is these front row seats, I must say, because they're not immediately in the line of the speakers. <laughs> and you get a better sound. All right. So I don't want to take any more time on this other than to say we're aware of this. And I'm just giving you one or two tips to help you along there. Um, so this month, as we've already mentioned, we're going to be looking at the kingdom theme of joy and hope. And uh, every month we take a different kingdom theme. And every month I aim to make a few resources available on the subject. So over here on this uh, black counter here is, um, is a DVD, a book, some photocopies you could borrow if you would like to get into the subject more. And we're currently in the process of turning that little um, prayer room with a square window into a bit of a lending library. There's already quite a number of books, DVDs, resources in there. You're always welcome to delve into those and borrow those, Okay. I'm really actually looking for somebody who might like the role of each month sifting through some of those and finding good resources on our monthly theme. So if you think, oh, that's the sort of thing I'd like to do. I'd like to find resources. And then once a month, we could lay them out to help people uh, explore what we're looking at in greater depth. Then please come and see me. Okay, plug over. <laughs> Good. So hopefully, I've got a PowerPoint there, Tommy, called Joy and Hope. And we're going to start together to look through this. Um, as I've been 
Oh, have I brought it with me now? I hope I have. Ah, ah there it is. As I've been uh, doing my daily readings, I've been using this new translation. It's fantastic. It's called the Passion Translation. It, uh, not every book of the Bible is in this translation yet, but he's working his way through quite well. And I am finding this translation such a blessing to my daily Bible reading times, and I commend it to you. And it just so happens that I was reading Hebrews in this translation, and there's loads about hope in Hebrews. So a lot of what we're going to look at today will stem from that book of Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, you might like to find whereabouts that is. So... Why look at joy and hope? Well, because it's one of the key fruits of the kingdom and a key sign of a true believer. True believers have hope. True believers have joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? And so if somebody claims that they're following Jesus, that they're a good Christian, there's no joy and there's no hope in their lives, I would begin to think, oh, I, I wonder how close you really are to the Lord because he's really hopeful and he's really joyful. So, here's a good question to ask ourselves. To what or whom are we looking for our joy and hope? Because it's possible, isn't it, to pray the salvation prayer and to become a Christian but still be operating in a way of thinking a way of doing life, a way of relating, which is just what we've inherited, maybe from our upbringing or whatever. And in the world, many people, they look to a relationship to bring them joy or hope, don't they? The fulfilment of an ambition to bring them joy or hope. When I get that perfect house, job or car, then I will be joyful. Uh, maybe their hope is in looking ahead to a holiday or retirement or something, or some kind of goal attained. And none of those things are wrong, but they can all let us down, and they're all transient. And once you've got them, you realise they don't fully bring me joy or hope that lasts. So where can joy and hope be found? Next one, please, Tommy, if you can. Here we go. Um, oh, we've chopped off something off the top, but never mind. It should say, where is joy and hope found? Hebrews 10. I think this is the discrepancy between my Mac and a different computer, but never mind. Bear with me. Where can we find it? Well, in these verses that I've uh, put up here from the Passion Translation, we read that we're now... You and I, we're all brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right in to the house of God and to the presence of God. And we've got this amazing king priest who welcomes us into his house. And the verse in Isaiah tells us that it's in his house of prayer that we find joy. So true joy is found in the presence of the Lord, 
Isn't that right? There's many scriptures about that. In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand. So this is where we will find true joy and hope. In his house, in his family. Okay, and in his presence. Next one, Tommy. In fact, Romans chapter 15 verse 13 tells us that God himself is hope. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the God of hope. That's who he is. Like he is love and he is peace, he is also hope. He is the God of hope. And that's why if we come into his presence, we come into his house and we come close to him and we participate in the family of God, we can access joy and hope. So if he's the God of hope, Surely it makes sense that wherever he is, there will be hope. Is that right? If he's the God of hope, wherever he is, there will be hope. So think about your own life for a moment. Is there any aspect of my life which I lack hope at the moment? We need to invite the God of hope into that situation. And how is it imparted? It says here in the latter part of verse 13, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is why it's so important for us to take time to receive the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit move Because he will impart or give to us hope in whatever situation you are facing at this point in time. The Holy Spirit is our friend in turning hopelessness into hope. In Hebrews 6, and again I'm reading from the Passion Translation up here on the screen. We read that we have an unshakable hope. That's pretty brilliant. An unshakable hope. We've got this certain hope, and the writer to the Hebrew says it's like this. It's like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding your soul and my soul to God himself. If our hope is placed in other things, it can be shaken with changing times, changing relationships, changing circumstances. But if our hope is founded in God, it's an unshakable hope. It's like we're linked on a chain to a great heavy anchor in the heavenly realm where he is. And that cannot be broken and cannot be shaken Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which which sits 
in the heavenly realm, where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone before us. So why is there hope uh, available to us from this place? Well, because Jesus has been through everything that you and I will ever go through. Every pain, every stress, every sorrow, every challenge, every betrayal, every discouragement, every disappointment. He has tasted the lot. Every loss. He has tasted the lot. And he has risen victorious above the effects of every single one of those things. And has risen from the dead and gone through the heavens to that holy place in the presence of the Father where the mercy seat dwells. And he is there interceding for us. Making intercession for you and I. Praying for us. That's why we are linked to that place because he knows you, he knows me. And he is even there this morning in the presence of the Father making intercession for you and I because he knows what it's like whatever you are facing or challenging. And so we can have hope today because we know Jesus is praying for us. Um, and we're going to look at an example of that in a, in a little while, actually, of how that helped somebody through a very challenging situation. But we'll come back to that in a minute. Next one, please, Tommy. Let's actually look at what is hope, because it's quite a difficult thing to really define. So I decided to try and make an acrostic out of it. So can you, you see what I'm doing here? H-O-P-E, yes. Okay, hope is heaven's or God's perspective on things. Heaven's outlook or heaven's opinion, not my outlook, not my opinion, not your outlook or your opinion. It's heaven's outlook pervading everything. God has hope this world. He has hope for you and me. He has hope for every lost person. He has hope for every nation. He's got hope for the future. His perspective is, there's always hope. His perspective is, everything is subject to change. Everything is redeemable. Shall we say that together? Everything is redeemable. Everything is redeemable because Jesus has already won the victory. The battle's been fought and won. The deed is done. So everything can be changed with heaven's outlook and heaven's opinion about a situation. So can you see that hope really is a mindset, the way we think. Hope thinks a certain way. Hope thinks. 
and renewed minds are hopeful. Doesn't the Bible say, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's perfect will. The Bible tells us to have renewed minds, and renewed minds will always be hopeful. They will never say, well, that's it then. Throw the towel in now. A renewed mind will be renewed with God's thoughts, and his thoughts are, there's hope for this. Next slide, please, Tommy. Faith, hope, and love. Who's heard of those three words put together before? And these three will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of them all is... Okay. But today we're looking at hope. These three things are of eternal significance and importance. Everything else in your life and my life will change and pass away. Everything. But these three things will remain. Hope, faith and love. So because our Father loves us, he's about the business of trying to develop these three in us. Because these three will endure the fire. These three will endure death. These three will remain. So it's really important in our father's eyes that every son and daughter has laid hold of hope, faith and love. He is trying to develop his nature in us so that we become like him. So if we lack hope and we, we speak as if there's no hope, we're speaking like we're not a true son. Because we know the Father says there's hope. So he's really trying to work inside of us a change. Depending on your upbringing, you might have been a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of a person. Okay? You might know in yourself what kind of person you are. But I want to tell you that this isn't about an upbringing. This is about a transformation, a supernatural transformation of us that God is about to make us all hopeful people like he is so that we can become like him, think like him and speak like him. So why is hope so important? He's really on it. Hopefully he was one saying, why is hope so important, Tommy? Have you got that one? Next one. Yes. There we go. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we read, Now faith brings our hopes into reality. If there's no hope then something can't change for the good. Faith works on a hope. Faith starts as a hope. Hope is the seed that faith works on to bring some kind of change. Okay? So, hope is a 
hope thinks, love motivates, and faith acts. That's why God wants to develop those three things in us. He knows we've first of all got to think like he thinks. That's why it's a kingdom thing, hope. Then he wants us to be motivated by his love and then do something. Hope thinks, love motivates, faith acts. So it's really important for us that we take time to let God develop hope inside of us because without hope we will never possess the promises of God and we'll never properly demonstrate to the world the goodness of God, the kingdom. The world needs to see that God is good, his kingdom is real, don't they? They need to see that he is full of power and glory and compassion and mercy. They're never going to see it from a hopeless bunch of followers. Okay? We can't be like the spies in the Old Testament who were sent into the promised land, who went and lacked hope, got intimidated when they were spying out the land and came back and went, oh, I don't think there's much hope of us taking that. Without hope, we can change nothing for the better. That's why it's so important and why we spend time looking into his word on it and saying, change me, change my mind. One of the best writers on this subject of joy and hope that I've come across is a guy called Steve Backlund and he's based at Bethel Church in California and there's a lot of his resources online that you can download for free, Steve Backlund. He's the one who coined the phrase, let's just laugh at that when faced with a hopeless situation. Let's just laugh at that. And uh, when I was over in Bethel some years ago, he quoted Francis Frangipan and said that Francis Frangipan had totally challenged him by this particular phrase. Any area of my life which is not glistening with hope is an area in which I have believed a lie. That's pretty heavy weight, actually, isn't it? Any area of my life which is not glistening with hope is an area in which I believe something that's less than God's truth, less than God's hopeful thought. And I have to put my hand up and say, I fall short in that area. But I want to be changed by my Father to start to think like he thinks so that change can become possible. So it's really important for us that we don't let our hearts get hardened. That's what it says in Hebrews. Don't let your hearts get hardened because hardened hearts are hopeless hearts. 
Don't let your heart get hardened, as this will lead to unbelief, and it will make you unresponsive to God and to his word. So he's not shaking a finger and saying, you dreadful lot, you've hardened your hearts, and so now you're people of unbelief, and that's why this isn't happening. That is not his tone or his approach. But he's giving us a key here. He's shining a light in and saying, if you've let your heart grow hard in a certain area, it's going to be a problem for you. So let me come and change that, would you? With my love. Exchange your hopeless view for my hopeful view on this. Will you be humble enough to let me renew your mind in that area. Can you hear the difference in tone there? He's not judging us. He's trying to help us. Because a happy life is a hopeful life. Next one, Tommy. In the book of Hebrews, believers are urged to Hold firmly and cling tightly to the hope. Hold firmly, cling tightly. And in the translation that I've been using, it says, so now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. So how can we hold firmly or cling tightly? And again, this quote is from the the Passion Translation. And I've put in italics here the sorts of things that we can do, that we can each be active in now, that will help us to hold tightly and cling, um, cling whatever it is, hold firmly and cling tightly to the hope. Here's some yes but how. Would you consider doing some of this? Would you consider doing some of this this week in this family? Discover creative ways to encourage others and motivate them towards acts of compassion. Discover creative ways to encourage others and motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. It isn't just down to the um, pastoral team or the mercy team to bring those acts of love and compassion. We're not an organisation that just calls them in, send in the pastoral team, We're a family. And if we want to be a hopeful family, then every single one of us needs to play our part in discovering creative ways to encourage someone else in this family. So this is is my challenge to us for this week. Could you ask the Holy Spirit for some creative ways which you could encourage another person and then go and do it. This is not the time to neglect meeting together as believers, the writer says. 
as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together more frequently, eager to encourage. There's that encourage word again. Eager to encourage. So I'd just like to pray for a moment at this point. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for a release of your God ideas upon us. Because we want hope to arise in this family. We want every person to be hopeful. And we ask you this week to download to us something, some creative thing that we can each do to encourage, strengthen and build up the body in love and hope. In Jesus' name, Amen. I think it's interesting that the writer writes there, if you want hope, you want to hold on to hope for yourself, do something for someone else. Isn't that interesting? That's what he said. Hold tightly, cling firmly, and how to do it, do something for someone else in a creative, loving way, and somehow hope will get multiplied. So how does hope get fulfilled? Next slide, please, Tommy. Fantastic. Hebrews 6, 11 to 12. We long to see you passionately advance until the end and you find your hope fulfilled because hope is supposed to be fulfilled. That famous uh, verse in um, Proverbs, isn't there? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So take courage. It is God's intention to fulfill our hopes. Some he does quickly. Some take more time. So my tip is, well, in fact, it's Bryony's tip. She taught us this last year. Don't just have one thing you're hoping for. Be all insistent on God to do that one thing and one thing only. Get all obsessed about one thing. Have several hopes or dreams. She spoke to us about how young David took five stones out of the stream. But only one was used to fulfill that dream of bringing down Goliath. He held five things in his hand. Only one at that point was used by God. And you could look at those stones. I've got some visual aids today. There's some stones on the table there. See if you can work out where I'm going with all these funny things over here in a minute. All right. So hope is supposed to be filled, but don't get stuck on just one thing. You know, have, have a few pots on the boil. Don't allow your hearts to grow dull or sluggish. So we've already re read this in another part of Hebrews. Don't let your heart get hardened. Don't let your heart get dull or sluggish. 
but follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. So, there's some instructions here for us. Do something to encourage someone else and decide not to let your heart get hardened, dulled or sluggish. Now, that is something that I've been fighting a personal battle with in recent weeks. So I'm going to share a little bit um, towards the end of this talk in a few minutes about how you can protect your heart, how you can guard your heart. So thank you for that word about my heart, Pat, just before I got up to speak. God's on my case. Yeah. Okay? Because letting our hearts get hardened, dull or sluggish will reduce our hope levels. And if we reduce our hope levels, less can happen. And we don't live in the fullness of everything God has for us as his sons and daughters. In this scripture, we can see how um, hopes get fulfilled by doing something and by enduring. These are not popular <laughs> These are not popular things because endurance takes time. But it is God's way. It is God's way. It is God's way that he fulfills our hopes, but he does it by developing faith in us and an enduring spirit, one that will go, well, if he doesn't do it for me this year, I'm going to trust him he'll do it for me next year. And if he doesn't do it for me next year, he's going to do it the year after. And he still loves me. And he is still good. Endurance. Next one, please, Tommy. Hope knows that God always keeps his promises. So we've got this, this strong anchor that he will keep his promises but it's important that we understand his processes. And I've gone back to the story that's in the Old Testament of when they took the promised land. It's in Joshua, chapter 21, if you're following in your Bible. And in those three verses, 43, 44 and 45, you will see that they had to cooperate with God's process to get the promised land. I'm going to read it to you. So the Lord gave Israel all the lands that he had sworn to give their forefathers. forefathers. So there's hope fulfilled. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. But to get to that fulfillment, they had to be courageous. How many times does God tell them, be courageous? Keep your courage, encouragement. Can you see that? Keep your courage. Encouragement. This is why we need to release encouragement amongst us. 
You have to have courage to see a promise fulfilled and we have to follow his instructions to the letter. Whatever he tells us to do, we must obey it. Okay? And then, it was one thing taking the land, is another thing keeping it. And to keep it, they really had to take ownership of it. They had to grow up and say, this is what God's told me to be and to do, to rule over this, and I'm going to keep it. And I'm not going to let any enemy steal it away from me again. So although it all sounds wonderful and hunky-dory in these verses and, you know, how um, none of their enemies withstood them, it doesn't mean the enemies never had another go. The enemies constantly had another go and they had to say no. This hopeful way of living, this joy, this peace, this love is mine to keep and I am not letting you steal it. So, it has this word rest in there and he gave them rest but don't think there was never fighting. That's one of God's contradictions in terms. <laughs> so, I want you to think about in the process of what God is doing in your life, you fully taking possession of the call on your life. Really take ownership of the fact that he wants to do something through you. He didn't want to just save your, you from your sins, book a place in heaven, and you to poodle along for the rest of your life. He has ground for you to take. He has promises for you to lay hold of. But you've got to take, just like I have to take, got to take possession of that call and not be casual about it. Take ownership of that call. And then when you've begun to make progress, Settle and take a long-term vision and commitment. Don't flit about. Take a long-term view. God has called me to be and to do X. And I'm in it for the long run. Phil and I jokingly call ourselves lifers. We're lifers to the vision and the call that God's put in our lives. We realise it's going to take us all of the rest of our lives to fully fulfil and possess everything he has for us. Running away from it is not an option for us. God has called us to this land and to this family and we're in it for life. I'm not saying necessarily every person sitting on the seats here is in that same position. You may be here for a season, but whatever God's call is on your life, please take a long-term view. Say, 
I give myself 100% to see what you want me to be fulfilled. And be ready to continually subdue your enemies. Bear in mind that people, even church people, may let you down, but God will never let you down. That's why we must have our hope in him and it must be connected into Jesus, our great high priest, as the hope bringer to us. Is there another slide? Yes, Jesus is outrageously hopeful about us. Now then, I said I'd give an example, okay, of how outrageous and ridiculous Jesus' hope is in his disciples, in his people. Let's look at the example of Simon, who Jesus called and then renamed Peter. And we know that Peter means rock. And he declared over this uneducated fisherman, uneducated fisherman, you're the rock on which I'm going to build the church of God in the whole world for the thousands of years to come. I call that pretty hopeful. (laughs) And he did it knowing that Peter would flunk out at some point. He knew that even with all of Peter's good intentions, he would blow it and deny Jesus three times to a little servant girl. And the whole future of the kingdom and the church was built on him and 10 or 11 others at the time. In fact, this is why I've got these sieves here. My garden sieve and my kitchen sieve. In the story of Peter, Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, sifting is not a nice process. It's shaking, it's agitation, it's stuff getting blown away and stripped off you and separated. It is not fun. It takes out the lumps. (laughs) And Peter was sifted, wasn't he? He was sifted at the time of the crucifixion. He was sifted. He lost all his confidence all of a sudden. And he did the very thing that he least wanted to do. He really let Jesus down. But in that passage, if you'd like to find it, it's in Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus says this, Interesting, he uses his old name, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. This is what he's doing for you and I right now. In the face of the Father, he's praying. He's interceding for you and I. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. 
encourage your brothers. So Peter did have his big flunk out and he returned to his old job, went back to fishing. That's what we tend to do. If we've had a big disappointment and lost our hope, we tend to go back to what we know, to something safe. Have you ever done that? I have. But what's amazing about Jesus, and I might start to cry now, (laughs) what's amazing about Jesus was that he knew because he prayed for Simon Peter that this wasn't the end. And he went and found Simon Peter back in his old job. And he made a barbecue on the beach. And they got lots of fish. Do you remember that? This is after Jesus' resurrection. And Peter comes onto the beach. And they have a face-to-face moment. Peter doesn't run from the one he has denied and let down. He runs to him. And in that face-to-face encounter, Jesus restores everything. Restores hope. Jesus had ridiculous levels of hope in this man. And with just those three questions, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, he recommissions Peter and says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So I want to speak to anybody today who has had a disappointment in the area of your call or your ministry and you've gone back to what you know, to the safety of that. Jesus is calling you today in his presence to a face-to-face. And if you look him in the face and receive that love again, he will empower you to go forward into your new name, the person he realizes you can be. That's what he does. He's fantastic. I learned something interesting in this Passion Translation this week, that the Aramaic word, the Hebrew word for presence, the presence of Jesus and the face of Jesus is the same word. You can't be in his presence without being face to face with him. Don't you think that's wonderful? That's why we are so over the top here about wanting his presence and taking time for his presence like we did this morning. Because it's then that we can have a face-to-face with him. He can restore love and courage to us. And we can tell him that we love him. And he tells us who he thinks we really are. Not, Not the rubbish stuff about my failures, but everything that I can be. And of course, Peter goes on from that face-to-face to preach to and lead thousands to faith in Jesus. In just the same way Jesus has got high hopes for you and I, despite our poor track records, 
He is ridiculously hopeful about what he can do through you (laughs) and through me. He thinks, Jesus thinks he can build his church through you and me. He thinks that he can heal the sick through you and me. He thinks he can set oppressed people free through you and me. He thinks he can feed the hungry, set captives free, mend relationships, heal the land, and all manner of other outrageous things. Because he's got heavenly hope. He's got a heavenly perspective. And that's the perspective you and I need to have. So I'm going to finish now by just showing my own personal stuff that I was saying about when hopes get dashed and I'm tempted to let my heart get a bit sluggish. When hope takes a bashing, how do you retrieve it? Or how do I retrieve it? I'm showing how I do it. It might be of help to you. You might be better at this than I am. But this is how I do it. Number one, sleep. Because as Stubbsy said to us this week, you can't take good decisions out of overtiredness. Sleep is a great gift from the Lord. Draws a line under one day, a bad day. And if you sleep well, then you can wake up with a little bit more hope in your heart the next day. So pray for sleep and pray for one another that you would sleep well because it's very, very healing. Sleep. Get your peace back. So if something's happened, you were hoping for something and it didn't work out, got to get your peace back. And I do that by getting some space and going for walks. And I start off on my walk... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> but then I notice something beautiful like an amazing mushroom or a beautiful deer or look at the colour of those leaves on the tree and I, I find myself almost against my own will praying in tongues and worshipping God going this is amazing I love you Lord and my spirit starts to engage this is just how it works for me. I'm not saying you've got to copy exactly, but find what it is that does that for you, where you can take your eye off the problem or the loss or whatever and begin to see his beauty. Because where is hope found? Where is joy found? In him, in his presence, with a face-to-face. It's anchored in the heavenlies with him. Then I begin to praise and worship. We've been learning here, haven't we? Praise is our warfare. We focus on his beauty and like Peter, begin to respond again to his call on your life. None of you are called to be ordinary Christians. I just want to say that now. Not one of you is called to be an ordinary Christian, whatever that is just somebody to sit on the seat. No. I tear that lie down now. Every one of you is uniquely designed to walk into good works that God has prepared for you in advance. That's what the Bible says. 
you are uniquely designed to walk into good works that God has prepared for you. You're exactly the right shape for it. He's prepared those in advance. But you and I need to have a hopeful perspective so we can believe it can happen. That we are that person. So I realise my hope is anchored in him. Years ago, when we had a very traumatic car crash in Italy, my hope went like that. And I found a phrase that helped me. And it's the phrase, all my fountains are in you. All my life, all my hope, everything. And I come back to that phrase and I declare it. All my fountains are in you, Lord. Then this one. Now I find this quite hard. Some lovely people in this family have lavished me with some lovely words of encouragement, gifts and all sorts. And when I'm really low, I can't quite receive them. Do you know what I mean? Like you know that they're meaning that with love, but it's hard to let it go in because you're guarding your heart. You have to get to a point where you let them do that. And she's not in the room so I can tell you about this. Debs gave me this most amazing gift. And when you open it up, inside, oh gosh, there's prayer, promise, Encouraging word after affirming word, all tucked in, handwritten, every single one beautifully designed. About enough so that I could receive a little word of encouragement every day of the next month. And chocolate too. But when she first gave it to me, I couldn't read those words. And I couldn't eat the chocolate because I wasn't ready yet to let the encouragement happen. So you have to go through these bits. And then when you start to realise your hope is in him, let people in. Do you remember at the beginning I said, where's joy and hope found? It's found in the family and in the house. So you have to let the family bring you encouragement. This is why it's so important that we do what we prayed about earlier in the talk, find creative ways to bring an encouragement to somebody else. Because you don't know everything that they've been going through and how desperately their heart needs encouraging. Okay? And then when all of that is done, and you realise, okay, I've been being sifted. Coarse grain, fine grain. And I don't like it. But Jesus has been praying for me. So it's bound to be okay in the end. Couldn't have anybody better than him praying for us, could we? And you've let the encouragement begin to sink in. You know, t- you know you're starting to get somewhere on the hope front when you catch yourself having a little dream again. 
and you let yourself have a little dream again. Because hopeless people stop dreaming. Because they don't want to be disappointed again. So if you stop dreaming, the invitation today from Jesus is, come and have a face-to-face with me. Let me take you through this process, however short or long this is going to be. And then I want you to dream again. That's why I've got the stones here. On my walk this week, I realised, oh, I've been worshipping the Lord and I had a little dream. So I picked up a stone, like David did. And I'm going to carry that dream again. Till God says, I could use that dream for one of my purposes and fling fling it at the enemy and bring him down. Get something done in the kingdom. So, amen. Amen. Shall we stand and pray? You might want to get into some space so that you can talk to the Lord privately as we pray. Holy Spirit, please shine your light into our hearts today. Thank you that you know our hearts completely. You know where we have hope. And you know where we've given up hope, Lord. And we want to bring our hearts, the whole of our hearts, to you this morning. Broken, tattered, fragmented, hardened, grieved, whatever condition they may be in. We want to have a face-to-face with you, Jesus. And to ask for your forgiveness in any areas where we know we've experienced some disappointment or failure and we've gone back to what we know is safe. And we've stopped pushing forward. And as we look you in the eye this morning, Lord, we want to just say, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive me. We know that you want our hearts to be tender, teachable and full of hope. Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to minister to us today and throughout this coming week. To restore hope, to exchange where we believe lies for your truth. So just break agreement now. Break agreement with lies. Anything that's less than God's truth about you or what you're capable of. Break agreement with those lies. Where you've written yourself off. Break agreement with that right now. 
because Jesus has got ridiculous hope for you. He knows who you truly are and all that you are personally capable of filled with his spirit. And he calls you a better name. So I declare over you, yes, you can do it. You are an extraordinary Christian. You are a son and daughter through whom the kingdom of God can come. And I bless you to allow him to soften your heart this week, to give encouragement to someone else this week, to find hope in the family and in the house of God. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for praying for us, for interceding for us, for bringing us through every up and down, every challenge of our lives. And we declare all of our fountains are in you. All of our hope is in you. Let the river of life flow again in every heart this morning, I declare. In Jesus' name.